If you've taken a glance at your outline this morning, you might be wondering what got into Pastor Lynn's coffee. You mean he's going to try to go through three chapters of Scripture this morning? And you all have met me before. That's a challenge. But then you heard the Scripture reading and you saw how that went. So you're going to see that, that there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of lists of people in the passages that we're looking at this morning. And so we'll be making a little bit of commentary, but we're really going to be wrapping up this entire study that we've had in the book of Nehemiah as we really take this wall and this glorious thing that God did through his nation as they came back into the land. Um, The temple had been rebuilt, and now the wall has been built And now today, we are just wrapping that up in a nice little bow, kind of. We'll see that, uh, because there was some some challenging news along this. But uh, we we leave this account of Israel's history, of the, the thing that God has done building this wall, and we leave it, offering it back on the altar of service and sacrifice, giving that back. God. And so we're going to be discussing this morning the whole entire idea of consecration that was brought out in chapter 12 there as we were uh, looking at the passage going through the scripture reading this morning. And we want to start by referencing what is this idea? What is this word consecration? What does that even mean? Well, it's it's akin to the idea of something being uh, sanctified. Well, What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, if I have something that is sanctified, that means I've taken an item and I've set it apart. I've set it apart for special usage. That's the basic idea of the word. And then as we get into things that pertain to Scripture, it's not just setting apart something for a special purpose. It's setting it apart for a sacred purpose purpose. It's setting it aside for the usage of God. I can't think of, the, of this idea of consecration, of, uh, of sanctified usage without thinking back to a dear uh, brother in the Lord who is now living with the Lord, and he's having a far better day than we are at the moment, but he happened to be one of my roommates. In fact, many of you here might know him if you were uh, attending the church back at the early 2000s. His name is Mr. Dean Reinheimer. This guy had a hug that would last for days anytime you you would see him. And it wasn't just like a a side hug. It was like a bear hug where this guy would, you know, like, I can't breathe. You know, it's just such a, a, a big, burly hug. And I'll never forget one time. He was teaching a lesson. Maybe he, he was writing a paper for school or something. He wrote it, and he said, Justin, I want you, I want you to look at this, and, uh, and, and what do you think about this? And it was on the idea of consecration, of something being sanctified. And he, he didn't tell a ton of stories from growing up, from his childhood, but he related the story, and it, it's never left my mind. How As a child, uh, his, they didn't have a lot of fancy things, But his mom had this special silverware that was never used, save for one or two times a year, probably Christmas dinner and Easter dinner were probably the two times a year that this silverware was used. And I remember him making the connection, connecting the dots for us, that that silverware was sanctified. You didn't just get to go mess with it. That silverware was set apart for a special purpose. And that gives us a a picture. You don't just use it. It's not just some humdrum thing that you blow over, that you treat willy-nilly. It's got purpose. There's a preciousness to it. And uh, there's value and meaning ascribed to that. That's what something being sanctified, there's a preciousness to it. And as we talk and as we look this morning about how and why, and what it looks like when we are consecrated to God. There's a specialness to it. There is a purpose to it. 
Well, if you have your outlines this morning, we're going to begin uh, by looking at three different principles. And the first one we're going to see here is that when it comes to consecration, God desires the willful worship of his people. We're going to make a case that as God desires for us to be consecrated and set aside especially for him, that this being set aside is different than Dean wanting to just use that special software and his mom saying, nope, you can't touch that. It's not Christmas yet. It's not just some edict that he couldn't touch it. It is rather an invitation and an exhortation to each one of us that God is inviting us to set ourselves apart for him, but not just for him, not just for his usage, but setting our hearts apart unto him. Taking that which is what he's given us and saying, Lord, here I am. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, this is for you. God desires the willful worship of his people. Now, thus far in the book of Nehemiah, we saw how Nehemiah came and he saw that the walls of, of Jerusalem were in disrepair and he was burdened because Jerusalem is special to God. I'll remind you of this. We, we referenced it briefly as we studied through the book, but since we're drawing it to close, 1 Kings chapter 11 couple verses in there, draw out the idea for us that God had a special plan. God had purposes of, for Jerusalem, in particular with his nation, his chosen nation of Israel. In these verses, we read uh, that he, God, will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Later on, he said to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp, always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. The city of Jerusalem was important because what resided in the city of Jerusalem? The temple of God, and the temple was the visible dwelling place of God. And the nation of Israel was to uphold and extol that and show to all the world their God. And it was through that. And so as part of that, they, they, it, this was just the culture that they would fortify that city. And to fortify that city, make it special, make it last, make it stand out to all the people, they needed a wall. And so we saw all that Nehemiah endured, how he led the people through this amazing transformation of the wall, the rebuilding of the wall, and we saw the spiritual reform that he brought to all of the people, and they, they opened God's word, and there was a Bible conference, and so many things have happened. And now, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at not just the people and all the change that went on, but we're looking at how God now wants the actual thing, the wall itself, to be dedicated back to himself. <clears throat> But before we do that, this is all of these things have, have occurred. And I want us to look at chapter 11. And let's begin in verses 1 and 2. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. We're, we're exploring this idea that God desires the willful worship. They did all of this work. They built the walls uh, to protect Jerusalem, to protect the temple of God that was there. But you know what? There weren't many people living in God's city at that point. So what's the point if there were no people living in the city? And so that's what's being dealt with next in the passage. And we're going to see that not everybody wanted to just up and move to Jerusalem. And so let's look at this. Verse 1, chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities, meaning close to Israel. Verse 2, And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell 
at Jerusalem. Part of the spiritual revival that was already happening in the chapters leading up to this is that they recognized that their giving practices had been defunct, that they needed to be setting aside a portion uh, of their tithes to the Lord. And so uh, they, they got all of those things straightened out. But yet nobody was willing to give them themselves to actually go and live in this city. So it took basically Nehemiah coming up to say, hey, there's a draft. Could you imagine this? In serving the Lord, how excited would you be to be chosen by lot, to be drafted, to have to pick up your family and move to a different city? Would that be really exciting? No. Now, God did it, and, and we're going to see how God blessed and used through this. But, but there was certainly a, a, a challenge to all of this <clears throat> with that. But you look at verse 2, and what stands out, and this helps us make our, our next point here under willful worship, is verse 2, the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Yes, they had to reinstate this, this uh, draft system to get people to come back and actually live and dwell in Jerusalem, but that's not everybody. There were individuals who willingly said, Lord, I'm willing to set aside me, my desires, my wants, my comfort, that which is usual and customary to me. And I am willing to set that aside and set it apart unto you to the extent that, I would, that they would move their families so that they could live in the city of God at Jerusalem. Anyone who has served the Lord in, in full-time ministry and, and, and felt God's calling into that, uh, most of us have a, at one point had to pick our families up and follow the Lord in his direction to somewhere else that is not our home. I have had to, to do that before, and I know many of our pastors here have had to do that. This is, these are the moments, these are the instances where the rubber kind of meets the road, where we have the opportunity to lay our all before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm willing to give this to you and follow you even in a hard thing even in an undesirable thing, like moving my family. I am willing to worship you through doing this. And notice here, they were willingly offered. The point we make on our outlines here next, point A, is that consecration to God applies first to the heart. Some of these people weren't willing to do that. They weren't there yet. Well, we are under the law. Another word for law is legislate. All right, it was legislated. He said, you're going no matter what, you, no matter what. But God always wanted the heart of his people to respond in faith, to respond in obedience to him. And there were people at this time willing to respond to the Lord in faith, consecrating themselves to move to the city of Jerusalem. Keep your hand here in the book of Nehemiah, and I'm going to ask you, we're not going to bounce around a lot this morning, but I want you to keep a hand in Nehemiah, and I want us to keep another hand, or maybe your bulletin, in Romans chapter 12. Because we're going to look at this, and we're going to see a lot of parallel between how Paul lays out the progression of how God wants us to be consecrated to the Lord, what that looks like, and we're going to see that worked out here, even under the law in these times. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, these are not new to many of us, if not all of us before. But here we have the idea of willful worship and heart-led, heartfelt worship. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Many translate this. Other translations say this is your reasonable worship. This is your worship to present yourself, to set aside, to sanctify 
yourself, to consecrate yourself as a living sacrifice. And be not conformed, verse 2, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants our hearts. God wants us to willingly submit ourselves to him for his use, for his purposes and his plans. We can go through the motion of setting aside our things, setting ourselves aside, yet it must first be applied at the level of our heart. Keep your finger there in Romans again, and we go back to Nehemiah. And so, uh, and we're back in Nehemiah chapter 11. So we saw that the people, uh, God wanted them to willingly do it and, and, and um, it, apply it to their heart. But then we go through the rest of chapter 11, and, and this is, I chose not for us to read through this uh, ad nauseum as we go, go through here, but I'd encourage you to, to spend some time with the Lord this week. Read through these last three chapters, because remember, when we got into chapter 7, 8, 9, remember I was almost tempted to kind of like gloss over some of those things, because these were similar passages where it was this person, and this person, and this person. But yet we saw principles and we got nuggets of, thank you, Lord, for putting, yes, even the boring things and the things that just kind of make my eyes glaze over because God is in those details. And when we see passages like this where God names people and God describes this group of people and this group of people, it reminds us and it encourages me and it humbles me because God sees individuals God sees you, God sees me, and he sees us right where we are doing seemingly simple everyday things. As we go through the passage here, there's all kinds of groups of people that he's talking about. Of course, we have the people who were drafted. Thankful for them. I'm thankful that it was them and not me. There's the people who willingly chose. And this says the people, I mean, they blessed those people. Thank you. That's great. You're, what a testimony. I am challenged in my own life, yet I'm not willing to do it myself. But I'll bless you anyway. But it goes beyond that. There's the heads of the households of the other people that were living in Jerusalem. There were the priests. Uh, later on in verse 14, talks about their brethren, the mighty men of valor. Uh, all different kinds of people. There's Levites and those surrounding in other jobs. And then there's different classifications of people that Nehemiah starts to talk about. He talks about in verse 12 of those who did the work of the house of God. And we all know, we all know the many hands that pull together and the behind-the-scenes work that it takes just even here in our own house of God, of cleaning and make, picking up messes and, and serving and fixing. So much work done behind the scenes, all of these things. And these are all examples of how we consecrate our heart to the Lord. But it doesn't mean we all have the same job, that we all have to be out front up here on the stage as each of us consecrate our hearts first to the Lord, you do that right where you're sitting. And then right where God has placed you, with your skills, your talents, your burdens, your abilities, you set aside your heart to the Lord in those things, and God will and does use you presently exactly where you were. There were other people that Nehemiah talks about going through the rest of chapter 11 here, Verse 16, he says, those who had the oversight of the businesses outside of the house of God. Yeah, Scripture's even talking about those people with a business sense. That's not necessarily me. But God sees people like that, and they're different than me. But God uses people like that, even here. And, and just dedicating this wall back to the Lord, we see how God uses everyone of all kinds. He then talks about that there were those who did get up in front of all the people, that they gave thanksgiving and prayer. There were the gatekeepers. There were the Nethanim, which were servants to the Levites. All right? There were all sorts of people. The sons of Asaph, these are my people. Verse 22, they were the singers in charge of the service of the house of God. 
And then there was the king's deputy and all the matters concerning the people. There were so many different kinds of jobs, kinds of people, that we must recognize that God's consecration to the Lord applies universally. Not just to the people who are called to preach. Those who feel comfortable to get up and teach God's word or get up and be part of, of the worship up here and lead through song. That consecration applies to each and every one of us, even to those of us who feel or believe as if we don't have much more to offer than the mundane things of all of those different groups of people. The call to consecration is universal to God's children. I asked you to keep your hand in Romans chapter 12. If you turn back with me, we see this parallel application that God says, hey, give me your heart. I want you to be a living sacrifice. Set yourself apart. Except this sacrifice, you're not just, it's not not just dead. It's It's not just, you know, gone. You set this apart and you're living with me. You're living for me. And, after, and as we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, as we're consecrated, do you know what the Apostle Paul started talking about? He next talks about how every single person redeemed of the Lord has significance, has value, has meaning, has a ministry in the Lord. Look at verse 3, Romans chapter 12. Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. You see, Our hearts first must be given to the Lord. We consecrate our hearts. And from there, we recognize that God can, will, and wants to use you exactly as you are, exactly where you are for his glory. Warren Wearsby, I quote him as he says this, Never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God wants you. You may not be asked to perform some dramatic ministry, but simply being there is a ministry. The men, women, and children who helped to populate the city of Jerusalem were serving God, their nation, and future generations by their step of faith. Your presence, even here this morning, is a testimony of God in your life. It is a testimony of who you are to this church family of Falls Bible Church. It is a testament to you applying your heart and consecrating your heart to the Lord. Oftentimes, when it comes to this idea of God using us exactly where we are, even when it's not shiny, even when it's not exciting, it's a matter of perspective that we always need to seek God's perspective. And all that we seek, all that we think, all that we feel, we need God's perspective. But it can be a challenge when we don't feel like what we're doing is all that special. Or if I have to clean one more toilet in the name of the Lord, I think I'm about to be done. When Gordon McDonald pastored Trinity Baptist Church in New York City, he would ride the same bus daily from his home to the church. Now, one day, the bus driver of that bus that he would ride every day, he complained to McDonald and he said, you've got it a lot better than me. You have an interesting job, and you travel different places. I just drive this bus up and down the same old streets every single day of my life. McDonald told the bus driver his job could be a Christian ministry too. Every day, when you first get on this bus, 
before anyone else gets on, dedicate, or to use our word, consecrate this bus to God for that day. Declare it to be a sanctuary for God for that day. Consecrate it to God's glory, and then act like it is a place where God dwells. Several weeks later, McDonald returned from a trip, and he saw that same bus driver. You've transformed my life, the man exclaimed. I've been doing what you said every day, and it has made me see my job in an entirely new perspective. That same transformation can happen in our work if we take the time to adjust to God's perspective. I can imagine, I can only imagine, the burden of being a stay-at-home mom with little kids afoot and the burdens of mom, mom, mom. How many times do you think you might hear that in the course of a day? And it gets tiring, it gets weary, and it gets grating on the heart. But yet, when we start back with where it all begins, with setting aside our hearts for the Lord, we see that when we invite God into that, God works miraculously and marvelously in these very mundane things because he brings his glory to light and to shine in the lives of those people that God has put in our place, or in, in our lives in. So whether it is our children, maybe it is driving that same bus route day in, day out. Maybe it is cleaning one more toilet for the Lord. God wants to use us universally and applies exactly where you are. Keep your hand there in Romans because passage isn't over. We will be back to that, and we'll see this parallel continue even further. Now, we do return back to the narrative back in Nehemiah, and so after we look at all those different groups of people and how God did want to use them, and he did use them, we now arrive at the narrative that we saw in a scripture reading this morning, where it is now time to truly consecrate the very thing this whole book is about, the wall, that glorious wall that they had built. And we saw that God indeed had done the work of it. And what we're going to see here in this passage, as they dedicated the wall to the Lord, is this. God delights in the thankful praise of his people. You see, we're talking about consecrating ourselves and setting ourselves aside and there's a lot of ideas that come out here and we've, we've already mentioned it a number of times about when we when we we give ourselves to the lord boy is he going to use us and there's going to be work and there's things that he's going to do in and through us but beyond all of those things one of the ways that is expressed through our consecration to the lord is indeed praise because when our hearts are are set aside for him he is set aside in us and we see his working in and through us and how can we do nothing more but praise him for what he's given us and what he is doing in our hearts and that is expressed out in our actions in our service in our ministry he delights in the thankful praise of his people because it recognizes who he is, and what he has done for us and in us. The next idea we see about consecration here is that consecration to God does apply to God's provisions in our lives. We know that God provided the means to build the wall. God did that through, through the, their former captors, God provided in a great way. God provided the workers, meaning the nation, the Israelites themselves. And they worked in record time under the most deplorable circumstances, all to the glory of God. So much so that when they finished the wall, all the naysayers, and they were many, and we looked at them. The naysayers looked at that, and they were scared, and they were discouraged, because they saw, wow, that is the God of Israel 
alive and at work. And their hearts weren't willing to submit to the God of Israel, and it brought fear upon them. They all saw what God did in building the wall. When we see what God has done for us, we are moved to give it back to him. Notice that prior to dedicating the wall, we've, we've looked at it for the past chapters, Nehemiah already has brought great reform and spiritual revival to the people. That is always first and foremost, the heart. The wall was but one part and expression of God's plans for his people, but he wanted their heart first and foremost. <clears throat> God does, just doesn't want our things he does want us. And sometimes we can, we can get that. I think even in our, in our American mindset, you know, there's a problem. And as Americans, you know what we do whenever we have a problem? Pull out our billfold and we can throw money at it. You know, we live in a, in a very uh, blessed way that there's a lot of resources. If something's broke, something's not right, well, we'll just fix it. Well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get another one, you know. And, and things are expendable, things are, are disposable. And in such a world, we have the, the opportunity where we can amass all sorts of stuff. But God just doesn't want our stuff. He wants us. And as he has us, then he does want our stuff. It's going to come out only first and foremost once he has us. <clears throat> With the changes that had taken place over the past months throughout this narrative, it was now time to dedicate to God what he did before their very eyes with their very own hands. And this is not a foreign idea or concept to the nation of Israel. In fact, if you look back under the law, go back to Deuteronomy, uh, there uh, Moses is giving instructions uh, about men going off to war and serving uh, in, in war and battle. And he actually says uh, this about their possessions. He says, The officers shall also speak to the people, saying, who is the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart and return to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle and another man would dedicate it. Uh, uh, there's the idea that even under the law, they were to take just the physical expressions of God's blessing upon them. And they were to turn around and give it right back to the Lord. Yes, this is mine, but Lord, this isn't mine. This is yours. I dedicate this. And this was such an important part and expression of their walk of faith with the Lord, that they were not to even go off to battle prior to dedicating their possessions, their house, in this specific case, to the Lord. Later on, the spoils of war were to be dedicated to the Lord. So there's this idea of giving property, of giving possessions, of giving things to the Lord is present throughout all of Scripture. And that's, that's the idea of dedicating this, uh, dedicating the wall back to the Lord. <clears throat> to set aside for the Lord an item or a thing necessitates a humility that recognizes that it has been granted as a gift to you for stewardship and blessing. When we give it back to the Lord, we recognize, I didn't do this. Yes, maybe I did the work, and I saved the money, and I was prudent, and I was wise. But ultimately, God is the giver of good things, and he blessed me with this, and I give this back to the Lord. I ask you to stay there in Romans chapter 12. Turn back there with me. And we saw that we've got to give the Lord our heart. And as we give him our heart, he uses us exactly where we are in a way that is unique to us. He uses us universally. But what we did was we overlooked something. Romans chapter 12 doesn't start in Romans chapter 12. There's something that happens right before it. Go to Romans chapter 11. Paul, remember here in, in Nehemiah, we're making the point that God delights in the thankful praise and so leading up through the book of Romans, Paul is saying, look at what Jesus Christ has done for you. Look at who you are. Look at what he wants for your life. And this all builds into this swelling crescendo of chapter 11, verse 33. 
Paul almost goes poetic. And in fact, I think he does. There is a song-like element to this. We would actually refer to this, this paragraph here as a doxology, as a song of praise, an expression of God-faced praise. And he says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That's what happens when we see what God has given us in Jesus Christ. I, I, I can't even make sense of this. It's beyond what I can comprehend. He quotes the Old Testament here in verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This song of praise that Paul breaks into, he's basically saying, look at what all God has given to you. Look at the domain of God. Everything good in this world touches and is part of the domain of God. You can't give anything to him. God has given it all to you. But then a question emerges. What do you give a God who has everything? You give him your heart. You give him you. And that's exactly what Paul says next. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. You want to talk about a God who has all things. That is the God of the universe. And he blesses us. And because he's given this, we give it right back to him. Going back to our passage here in Nehemiah chapter 12, we see that consecration uh, applied to God's provisions for them. And how, did they ex- how else did they express this consecration, this process? They did express it in praise. So our next point, consecration to God is expressed in praise. Just like Paul uh, he, he moved into his song, so too these people hid it here. And we read of the, the account, so much so that they created two Thanksgiving choirs. I love that. We need a Thanksgiving choir here. But you don't have to be up on the stage. In fact, we've got two Thanksgiving choirs already here, part of the church. But what they did is to express and to, to dedicate this, they went to the very source and the site of what God did. It's not like they went into the temple and they were completely devoid of, of all God had done and, and thank you, Lord, for, the, for, for, the, for all that you've done in the wall. No, they went to the very place where they could see, where they could touch. They could walk on the strength of what God did in their lives. Interestingly enough, do you remember some of the accusations that the naysayers said about them building a wall? Do you remember there were some pains in the neck as we went through? One of the things that they said about the Israelites rebuilding the wall, at one point, I think it's in chapter 4, might be chapter 5, they said, you know what? That wall is going to be so weak that if a fox were to run on top of it, that whole thing's going to fall apart. I mean, that sounds like playground humor. They're just being mean bullies to them. And now in that very place where they were being mocked, where they were made fun of, they were threatened throughout that hall. They triumphantly walked. They triumphantly sang praises together. This isn't just the leaders. Everyone is singing. It even says the women and the children were along. And as they sang praises to the Lord, and they were thankful for what God did, Did you see the outcome? Did you catch that? Look at verse 42. The singers sang loudly with Jezrehiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. 
everybody in the surrounding towns and villages, they saw what God was doing. And I love, it's not just the sound of the singing. It wasn't just the noise. Do you know what got people's attention in this? It was the joy of the Lord. That's what it says. It says the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. It was, it was what God was doing in the hearts of his people that produced joy. And they shared it out. They sounded it out. Consecration to God, one of the ways it's expressed is in praise. Finally, we move our way to chapter 13. And here we will see that God meets us in our folly as well. This is exciting, and this is, this is like the whole pinnacle of the book of God made the wall, and there was great spiritual reform. And we saw the people committing to do things for the Lord. <clears throat> they dedicated the wall. Now there's like this little postulude at the end. This little, uh, this, this little thing that it, it's almost just like a little uh, jab in the side. It would have almost been more exciting had the book ended in chapter 12. Because chapter 12, I mean, is, is kind of the whole idea of, and they lived happily ever after. And we all love that. We, we all want the victory in the end. Praise God, we know in the end, in eternity, future, we have the victory that is secured in Christ. So that's coming. But after they consecrated the wall and they committed to serve the Lord in all the different ways in the spiritual reform. You know what happened? The people of Israel were a little bit like me. They backslid. They diverted their attention. They diverted their affections away from the Lord, away from who he was, all he had done for them, his plans for their life, and they went back to the old ways that were devoid of God's plans and purposes for them. They backslid in in three key areas. But the principle we'll share here first is that God directs the wandering hearts of his people. If you're taking notes, number three, God directs the wandering hearts of his people. You see, the, the, the people once set aside their hearts to the Lord. And this is great. They were going to do it all. And yet, over time, they went right back to the things that they were doing. We can look at this through the lens of grace and see that God is still present. And God can take us, even in our wayward, wandering heart, lead us back to him. That's where we get in the book of Titus chapter 2, that the grace of God has appeared to all, teaching us, disciplining us, bringing us back to living soberly, righteously, living, all of, living according to God's truth. God brings us back, our wandering hearts, to this. In that, we see that consecration to God requires continuous reformation. The idea of, I'm humble and on my knees right now, today. But you remember what what kind of sacrifice, what kind of offering Paul said that we were? He said that we were living sacrifices, right? Under the Old Testament, if a sacrifice was made, that sacrifice was killed and it it was dead on the altar. Did it get up and move? Not on its own. But you and I, we're called to be living sacrifices. Do you know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? We can get up off the altar. We can get up and we can walk away and say, nope, I don't want to do that anymore. This is too hard, Lord. I I said you could have me, uh, but I didn't mean here. We can get up. But God, through his grace, chastens our wandering hearts back to him. Consecration to God requires continuous reformation. And we see that uh, God, through Nehemiah, brings the people back and he exposes three particular areas where they had fallen backwards. One of them was that they had committed to separate from 
uh, from the pagans and that they had also committed to separate from marrying pagan women as well. In particular, they committed to separating from the Ammonites and the Moabites. Well, it turns out that uh, there was actually an Ammonite living in one of the storerooms of the temple itself. So, uh, yep, there's, a, there's a, a, a flip on its head. And Nehemiah came in, and there was kind of this idea. Do you remember Christ and his earthly ministry when he goes into the temple? And he's like turning tables over. <sighs> Nehemiah kind of approaches this chapter maybe a little unhinged, it looks like. I mean, Nehemiah really goes, uh, I'll, I'll let you look at it. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 25 of chapter 13. I mean, he's like... He, he says in verse 21, he said, if you do this again, I'm going to lay hands on you. He's like, I, I, I'm coming. There, there's threats. I don't know if I would have approached it quite in the Nehemiah way. Verse 25, he says, so I contended with them, and I cursed them, and I struck some of them, and I pulled out their hair. Um, don't do this, kids. No, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is up for debate and commentary as to was that appropriate but you know it's included in scripture for us and at very least it's an example of the grief that it, it, it has to bring to the lord's heart when he sees us wandering away from his best for us when he sees us closing off the hearts that were once consecrated to him when he sees us closing them off to him the grief that that has to give to him. Nevertheless, his grace draws us back to himself. I close with two ideas for us here. The the last idea here is uh, consecration to God compels us towards righteousness. The idea, and and if you want to look at this, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and read 14 through 21. I'm not going to turn there right now. But it talks about God compelling us. I love that word. God's love compels us and it moves us forward. In the end, the very idea is that in the end, that we would be the righteousness of God. That is the motivating factor in, in our hearts and our lives. For that to be the case, we have to be consecrated to him. There's a man, Alan Redpath. He had two daughters who loved to just swarm him as soon as he came in the house at night. Many of us might be able to to relate to that. As he came into the door one evening, his little girls ran to be the first to hug daddy. Well, one just grabbed hold of his leg and hugged him with all of her might. And the other daughter, who wasn't just right at his feet, he picked her up and just enveloped her in his arms. The girl squeezing the father's leg said, Now I've got all of daddy. And she smirked at her sister. Well, the daughter in the father's arms replied, well, you might have all of daddy, but daddy has all of me. It's a beautiful picture. We have all of God. We have been given everything for life, for godliness, for victory in Jesus Christ. We have it all, but does he have all of us? A woman one time was asked, Tell me in one word, what is consecration? Well, the pastor could not do it in one word. But instead, he handed her a blank piece of paper. Holding out that blank piece of paper, the pastor replied, Consecration is to sign your name at the bottom of this blank sheet, and let God fill the rest of it in. Consecration is to give yourself wholly and completely to God, no matter what he might write, no matter where he might send. It's to write your name unashamed and leave it there on the paper. I like to paint watercolor before I ever paint, I always have to prepare the page. And I always like a little, a little uh, frame around it. So you know what I do? I take 
painter's tape and I put it all around the edges. And so when I'm painting and I'm washing the beautiful colors of paint all over that paper, whenever I take that painter's tape off, do you know what's missing on the border of my paper? Paint, right? It's a beautiful white crisp frame that's on my piece of painting. And the thing is here, I know us. I know most of you very well in this room. And I've seen your life. And I've seen the evidence that you've written your name on the piece of the paper. You've said, Lord, I'm yours no matter what. And I don't know this to be true, but I surmise because this is the way of the human heart as we see in Nehemiah chapter 13. The problem is, is I wrote my name on the blank piece of paper, but then I get to painting with watercolor. I put pieces of tape on that paper that say, no, God, don't go there. Everything else is good, but not that. And so I close with this idea that if you've never written your, paper, your name on the piece of paper, that, Lord, I'm yours, I consecrate, I set myself aside to you, would today be the day? And if you have written your name on that piece of paper, as we pray and as we sing our last song, appropriately so, we're going to be singing, I surrender all. As we sing, would you ask the Lord, would he show to you where the tape needs to come off so your paper can be completely filled with his masterpiece, not just ours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your, your ever-present grace in our lives. Lord, thank you that you want to use each of us right where we are. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to live a sinless life a perfect life, and to die a death that he didn't deserve. But Lord, he did it for me, and he did it for everyone in this room. Father, thank you that for those of us that have trusted him as our Savior, that you indeed want every part of our hearts and lives. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that if there's one that has never submitted their lives to you as a living sacrifice, would they be moved to do so today? And Father, for those of us that have, would we be encouraged to remain yielded wholly? Would we open our hearts, continuing to set aside our hearts wholly to you, Lord? Father, be glorified in all that is said and done in each of us. Father, be magnified. Might the world see a bigger you through each of our lives and our consecration to you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. As you're able, stand and sing with us, I surrender.